All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 545. Jason Lingren is with me. And for the first time, Jeffrey and Daria are joining us. Uh, we're going to talk about what we used to call uh, natural birth, but apparently that term has been co-opted by allopathy. So we're going to use the term free birth. That will be hour one. And hour two, uh, we're going to transition into wilderness teachings. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a warm and muggy good morning. All right. Welcome, Jeffrey and Daria. Hi. <laughs> so we're going to jump in now. You've added a new life to the world. How old is the new life? Yeah, Shazandra's with us right now, and she's almost a month, I guess. Almost yeah. a month. That's like yeah. brand spanking new to make the pun. <laughs> so fresh. Yeah. <laughs> so is this your first child? Yes. And so right out of the gate on your first birth experience, growing your family, you decided to completely cut ties uh, with the mainstream method of birthing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think serendipitously, as my life has been, and I think Darius as well, it's kind of God or the universe, however you want to understand it, forced our hand into pushing us into this this situation and this this way of birthing that we kind of discovered by happenstance. Yeah, and I think with that as well, sharing that as we share our story, realizing that Jeff and I going into this experience, we've never seen birth, you know, it, I guess in a hospital or natural birth outside uh, or physiological birth outside of the hospital. And, you know, in some ways we really, there's a, a deep layer of trust and curiosity and responsibility that came in this journey for us. A lot of people, I would say a lot of women maybe come to this point after uh, some traumatic births and then slowly step into coming to this place. So yeah, it was a, we were, we went into it deep and fast and our learnings were, were quite intense. Yeah, but we wouldn't have it any other way. And I think that's how we persevered through all the discomfort and uh, questions that came up along the way. So did you, I mean, if you'd never witnessed, I'm guessing you must have jumped on YouTube or something to look at some <laughs> videos. Did you do that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Daria did. I like, I think sometimes you just see them throughout life and on social media and stuff. I've seen free births and never really thought about it. I kind of thought it was more the, you know, the, the hippie women and stuff like that. You see them birthing alone at home. And then Daria watched a few, one of the, the older women mentors that some of her teachers admire. She, she mentioned only, she tells her daughters and her, her people only to watch animal births. <laughs> and I thought that was the best method, but Daria did watch some, some human births. And some gorillas and dogs and yeah. Wow. So what is the thinking behind not watching a human birth? Because it's like completely natural. Is that the idea? There's no, well, I guess there's no uh, emotion and all the human confusion and all the, the stuff that comes with the, you know, the human side of things, I guess. You're not seeing like the doctor interventions mm -hmm. or any stuff like that. So you're getting a more pure, unadulterated version of birth where you know, as soon as you get a bunch of humans involved, then there's drama and trauma and confusion. Yeah. And, and actually to add to that, I said, we've never seen birth, but of course we have been programmed, both of us through movies and TVs and all of that, that I would say almost all the births that people are exposed to are a woman. Classic is like 
a woman screaming on the gurney (laughs) on the hospital bed in excruciating pain. And it's also portrayed as an emergency. And I think that is, well, emergence, emergency also as like emergent C-section as well. And I think that there's a lot to that, that we had to deprogram even ourselves, even if we didn't see it in person. Cause I do think in so many ways, birth is hidden from us culturally, but I also, yeah, part of our journey is un- unlearning a lot of what is just been programmed, been programmed that you're, you, yeah, it's, it's so deep that, yeah, you really have to explore to, to cave into that cave to, yeah, excavate some of those Brainwashing. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because back in the 70s uh, in TV and film, and I don't think they show it anymore. If they maybe it's just that I watched less, like almost nothing, but they used to show almost ubiquitously a baby being born. The doctor would grab it with one hand, hold it upside down, and then spank it. Oh, wow. That was my common vision of what (laughs) I thought you know, the process was, and I, I don't know, Jason, have you seen that Jason? Do they do that anymore in the seventies that used to see that all the time? I am under that impression from movies and TV shows and stuff, but that's not what happened in my experience. Uh. Isn't it the strangest thing? Hold the kid upside down and then hit it. The idea being, you've got to get it to cry or something to get it breathing. Or I don't, I Make guess sure I don't that exactly the know. Crying and no fluid in the lungs and things like that. What a lovely, traumatic way to enter the world. All right. Welcome to the world. Now we're going to strike you. But anyhow, we're going to jump in here. But I just want to frame up what actually went down before we jump into the bullet points. You guys did this at home. You did. Well, we're going to get into it. But the midwives actually turned you down. You basically did this uh, with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say all three of us, too, not just Jeff and I. Good point. All right. I'm going to jump into the points of the things that you thought were important to communicate to the world. Uh, To me, these are some of the most important episodes we do. To me, this is the hope for the future. In my way of thinking, the new life in your arms right now has a real head start compared to some of the things that we have been made aware of that go on. Jason probably knows better than I do. He has a daughter. I did raise three nephews as almost a father, but it's really not the same thing. So I'm going to jump in here. And the first point you laid down was conscious conception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that might be a difference for a lot of people is we consciously went into this where it wasn't uh, an oopsie or, you know, something went wrong. We, I guess we just listened, you know, maybe a week ago to your, um, contraception episode and we practiced i guess the rhythm method as some people say it so dairy attractor cycles and we played around with that while we were together and then at a point we decided we knew we wanted to have a family but we decided okay now we're going to start trying so mm-hmm. i guess unlike a lot of people it wasn't a surprise mm-hmm. so we did go into it you know like now we're trying and you know some time went by until it happened but it was all happening consciously it wasn't an unconscious thing that happened so yeah just to lay it with people that we were somewhat prepared in that we were going on this journey it wasn't uh all of a sudden now we got to get our ducks in a row and get organized Mm -hmm. did you guys have any kind of a conscious timing i always think about this 
because for me, the, the real examples are nature where you really are picking something up that's not really debatable. It is what it is. In my case, I was born in December. So that means I was conceived in and around spring. And I think about this a lot because in if we went back to like much, much older times where everyone was really <clears throat> more in tune with nature, particularly with growing things, the seasons, everything was timed. I used to think, I wonder if it was more common back then to time when conception was going to happen. But anyhow, to get to the point, did you guys consciously time the conception or was it more just, okay, now we're going to try to get pregnant? I guess I'll, I'll put my little two cents in. We did, we played around with the idea and obviously, you know, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> we, we had an idea and then we talked about it. And then, you know, we went back and forth. Like one thing I joked around with was when she was nine months pregnant, I said, aren't you glad you weren't pregnant in the middle of December or January where we live in uh, Northern Ontario, Canada, it'd be quite cold. So she would need almost a custom parka, all this different clothing because of her shape. It would have just made things a lot more difficult. Whereas having the baby throughout the summer kind of make things a little easier, I think, on her physically. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what do you want to touch on that? I think the piece with the conscious conception for me was, yeah, the timing in some ways I, I did like, of course, you know, babe, like you think of rebirth as spring, but for us, what actually played out was just us saying yes. And like inviting the soul, the spirit. And when we were ready in some ways, the, the timing of like months kind of dissolved. And it was just mm -hmm. like, this is our timing. This is when we are ready to receive. And then she arrived a few months after that and when we we were playing around with just like dates and me tracking my cycle and ovulation and then the night that she was conceived i i had a dream and that for me feels really important in in our journey of conception i had a dream of watching this woman give birth and then handing me the baby and then i looked at the baby and the the umbilical cord was tied to me and i told jeff that dream the the day or two after or something like that. And I knew, I knew I was pregnant. I didn't need, you know, a, a pregnancy test or anything to tell me I was pregnant. I, I really knew after that night and yet, you know, we still waited. And then when my, when I missed my period, it, it was all very, very clear at that point. But I think for me, it was really right from the beginning. It was like, trust your intuition be with your body and your experience. And it's a lot of listening. And yeah, that's just right from the beginning. It was that journey in many ways. I've got to ask in the dream that you had, uh, do you remember hearing anything? Any sounds? No. Uh, the only I'll just lay out why I asked. I, I saw a breakdown recently uh, from an Eastern tradition of the idea that if you hear water, then your dream is occurring in I guess it's described, we in the West would describe it as a dimension, but it's odd because they say that you, that the way they were describing it, they were saying you launch from a chakra. And so I think it was the fourth level up, you would hear bees. One was water. I forget all the rain, I think might've been one. Anyhow, it's neither here nor there, but I figured I'd ask, but I've got to ask this question because as Jason and I began to cover what we're now calling free birth, we became aware that there are women who say they know the moment conception occurred. So, and what's also interesting is if you ever 
later in life decide to draw charts according to the sky clock, knowing uh, conception is another point, maybe a very critical point. Do you feel like you have an idea of the day or even the hour or even the minute of when conception occurred? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you had a sensation too, physically. Yeah. As well as the dream was kind of confirmation. Yeah. I, w- I mean, I would probably be able to estimate it to the hour, like to the hour, you know, nothing more than nothing more, you know, precise than that. But yeah. Wow. You, you guys should keep track of that for later, just in case. It's good information that most of us aren't going to have. We have to approximate it backwards, uh, a lot of us. And I think maybe in older culture, those two in some circumstances was known and maybe even tracked depending on on the culture. But as we move through the bullet points, you say this was a wild pregnancy. And by the way, I guess I should ask, did you go into a hospital for checkups or did you go at any time for any reason? Did you consciously (laughs) separate? So the whole time you did this, just the two of you and then the three of you. Yeah. Yeah. To us, that was not even a thought. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we'll touch on it when we get to the uh, midwife piece as well. Mm -hmm. Which I noticed you wrote as medwives. Yeah. I guess, you know, when we just the the term wild pregnancy, I would say that's another, that's more language that's evolving now as people, you know, they almost want to add new words to, to try and capture this new way even though it's it's such an old way it's a little you know it's a funny juxtaposition but the wild pregnancy for us was a pregnancy completely out of the system we never went to anyone i would say the only support we had uh was our homeopathic doctor who knew we were pregnant and kind of you know guided us along that which maybe we'll touch a little bit more how that played in the birth as well in my postpartum but no ultrasound. I mean, no anything. It's it's super simple. It's just nothing except what we focused on was just how we live our lives. So supporting me with nutrition, really good uh, nutrient dense food, high quality foods, um, appropriate supplementation, lifestyle. You know, like only drinking spring water, which is something that we do all the time. But throughout the birth, that was you know. It, it, to me, that that is how you heal and um, support the moms. What else did we do? I guess Jordan, just establishing our you know our healthy baseline, yeah. moving through the whole pre-pregnancy, the you know the year leading up to it, everything kind of yeah around that. And I think an important thing we talked about earlier today was the language around birth. So. You know, I might say free birth or natural birth and all these different things. And the analogy I shared this morning with Daria was if I gave Rose a hug and I had a newspaper in my hand and I gave Jason a cookie with a newspaper in my hand and I hit you, Crow, with that newspaper, the word newspaper is going to have a different context to everybody. So as we move through the story and kind of the language, just remember that these are just words and they mean something different to everybody because we never define the terms when we do things very often we just go assuming that everyone had the same upbringing as us so Mm -hmm. even when you're looking for your own uh natural pregnancy care people make sure you define the terms because one person's natural birth is another person's medicalized birth and one person's free birth is another person's words get sticky and they have all this baggage where you know you need to define everything that's behind it as well not just 
you know, rely on just the word as, I guess, the stand in for everything it means. Mm-hmm. Identifying intent, basically, I think is what I'm hearing. You need to make sure that your intent is known. Exactly. Exactly. So what, you know, I was sharing with Jeff earlier, it's, it's you really, when you're choosing people and for us in the end, we ended up not having anyone, but in, a, in our journey, if someone's in this journey themselves, really, really asking the people that you're choosing to bring into your space, what, what they would do, ask them questions. What do you bring to like, what, what do you bring to my house? You know, if I decline this, will you still support me? And that's how you get to know how they will show up for the mom and the baby. Because there's a lot of, I would say, you know, the easiest way to describe is greenwashing in the birth world. And especially with midwifery, because even me growing up when I was younger, I wanted to be a midwife and I didn't end up choosing that path. But yeah, midwifery is kind of this air quote, natural alternative. And a lot of people still think that if they're getting midwives, it's like, yeah, the natural way, um, especially most, you know, most midwives can also go to the hospital with you. That doesn't necessarily imply a home birth. But as we found out with licensing and how birth is more and more being controlled by the medical system, the medical system, essentially, that's why we, we call them medwives. It's, it's just another expression. Yes, they will. They can come to your home if that's what you choose. But their hands are still tied. And from my experience, that tie to the system is preventing them to truly support what I like to call phys- physiological birth. And I would say that's the word that when people ask me, I love free birth as, as a term, and we use that for sure. And I love physiological birth because in the end, you're supporting the woman as a mammal to give birth within her the beauty and mystery of her physiology. And what does that look like? Most mammals, when they give birth, one, it's undisturbed. So there's no one, you know, poking, prodding, monitoring. There's no one that they don't know in their space. So imagine being in a hospital where you have random people staring at you, all these parts of you in a very intimate moment. Um, definitely lighting. I would say most women, of course, there's exceptions, want to give birth in darkness and kind of that cave sensation. So a small space, maybe with some lighting, but very dim lighting. And yeah, generally it's a very dark space. And then I mentioned the undisturbedness, but for me, there's also that piece of, of feeling protected. And that's where Jeff in my birth was the protector of my space in many ways if someone was to, someone or something was to come and disturb me and our process, Jeff was that person who was kind of holding that boundary. And then I think I would add to with that, with free birth or maybe even the term undisturbed birth people. And this was my, my journey of, and a teaching for me as well. That does not mean that you're alone in the process. And yeah, especially the word, um, yeah, sorry, I said undisturbed. I meant unassisted birth. So these words in some ways apply that the woman is just doing this by herself. And yes, of course, there's some women who do, do give birth totally alone. But I would say most women, even if they're choosing to birth outside the system, does not mean that they are alone in that process. There's a lot of support because birth is quite intense. And um, yeah, having extra hands and people who are willing to witness you in that process is, in my opinion, very, very important. 
All right, I'm going to lay a couple things down and I'm going to circle back on why it was a wild pregnancy. First of all, you mentioned spring water. Uh, David Avocado Wolf has a website called findaspring.com for people who would be interested in finding a spring. Uh, again, that is findaspring.com. The other thing I wanted to mention is another thing Jason and I have learned over the course of covering so many free births and natural births is that midwifery seems to be heavily affected by geography. In our country, it comes down to state. There are vast differences about how regulated and these types of things. You guys are up in Canada, but I want to circle back around. Oh, by the way, for everyone listening, we are going to get to the placenta, which actually plays an unusual role during the birth here. Uh, for those who have not caught the legal episodes, that would be referred to as the inheritance of the new life. Uh, the other thing is the birth certificate we're going to get into. But to circle back, why did you list this as a wild pregnancy? And did things occur that in a allopathic or hospital system would have triggered emergencies in their mind? Yeah, absolutely. I guess once again, with the terms, it's like trying to come up with terms that resonate with people. So free birth, wild pregnancy, like these are all ways that we can essentially try to communicate a point within a few words that, you know, someone hears that and resonates and then they can come for the full story. So I guess it's a way to encapsulate our way of life, our life way, the, how we live our day to day, uh, like consuming spring water is just, you know, that's our life, natural food from our landscape, local farmers are going out and, and harvesting our wild berries and stuff this summer. Like, so these are all practices in our daily life, regardless of a pregnancy. So I think that once again, the words are almost not to say meaningless, but they're placeholders for a bigger thing. But I think to, to answer your question there in, in my pregnancy journey, there was nothing. I didn't have any symptoms or anything alarming during gestation. So in some ways that was, yeah, I, I mean, I would say I actually had a fairly easy pregnancy. I also want to add, you know, wild pregnancy in our journey was also nobody really putting their hands on me and telling them even just by touch, uh, the positioning of my baby. So that was all me and baby's journey. I didn't have anyone, you know, telling me, yeah, the legs are down or up. That was all me. And also some people, even with births outside the system, they have these fetoscopes where you can hear the heartbeat of the baby and you can also locate the placenta with that. I didn't end up doing that as well at all. So I was really, yeah, we yeah all, we it was really out. just me <laughs> and baby and, and connecting and trusting. And of course there were moments, you know, I don't want to say that my, my pregnancy was easy. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to portray that there weren't moments, of course, there were moments of, of doubt and confusion and, and discomfort, but nothing that was outside the variation of normal that, you know, would trigger me or someone in the system to kind of react or be alarmed during the pregnancy. Since we're about halfway there, maybe we should start to get into the actual event. Is there anything more that you think we should lay down about midwives or any of the previous bullet points before we get to? Uh, the birth story itself. Yeah. So I think I'll try to wrap through the medwife experience and then Derry can pick up on the back end and I'll try, try to synopsis really quick. So I've been a big health nut for many years 
and I've been in the natural health area arena listening. So I knew all the do's and don'ts. And Daria, her experience, life experience was very, you know, like, let's keep everything as natural as possible. So when we call the midwives, we're like, we birthed this baby at home ourselves and we'll call him if we need him was kind of the idea that we had. And we also heard that from uh, Dr. Vollmer, Amanda Vollmer with her experience. So midwifery in Canada is a regulated profession that you have to go to university for. So it's basically OBGYN light. They get all the medicalized training and they're encouraged to get to the hospital if anything doesn't match their diagnostic trouble tree. So we call them knowing that, okay, this is our backup and we're going to get them just to be safe because we had all the programming of fear. When we spoke to them, uh, our initial call was to make an appointment. And during that call, Daria just mentioned, yeah, I'll probably be more hands off. To which the woman on the phone said, oh, hands off? You mean free birth? Like, we don't do that. She said, I'm going to cancel your appointment. I'm going to give you a phone consultation with one of the midwives. And, you know, we were kind of thrown off. And then we get this phone consultation. We're like, yeah, we don't know why she did that. But they're like, okay, well, you know, why do you think you're going to be more hands off? And why do you think you need our services? And Darren was just like, oh, I just meant like, you know, I'm probably not going to do the ultrasounds and dif- different stuff like that. And that basically turned into, well, you know, you should do these tests and blah, blah, blah. And after like a really shocking phone conversation, we get another, we do another call with a higher up midwife in this practice to which she says, you know what, like you get informed consent and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen dead moms and dead babies. And this is why you should do these blood tests and these ultrasounds and this, and basically kind of just gave us almost like a condensed of like modern programming for birth. So she just said all the worst things you could imagine, not side effects, sorry, but like all the possible terrible outcomes that could happen as to why we should do all the medical stuff for testing and stuff like that. And then we kind of butted heads to which point you know, we're like, well, we know we have informed consent. We don't have to do that. And then they came back with, well, we don't have to serve you. And then our kind of, our inner pro kicked in and we were like, okay, no problem. Like we want this all in writing and we want to document it so we can give it to our lawyer. And then as soon as we said that, she's like, she, you could sense the nervousness. She said, okay, well, uh, we don't have to do that. And I no longer want to talk to you guys. Bye. And hung up the phone. So after about like three phone conversations of them trying to, I guess, disqualify us. That's when they said, we're denying you services. And so that's... So wait a minute here. Just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to make sure I comprehend this. Basically, what the the midwife service was doing was recommending all these allopathic tests be done, which you were simply trying to say, we don't want ultrasound. By the way, there are plenty of people who take umbrage with ultrasound and things like this. But it's... Bro, it's not it's all of it every everything we learn and daria learn it's anything they can do to you is probably not good either psychologically and placebo effect or physiologically with what it's going to do to your body so it wasn't just that it was everything they they just wanted to give the full gambit of medicalization and because we pushed back from the beginning and didn't play ball and kind of grovel almost like a you would with a doctor then you're on your own yeah. Which was the blessing in disguise that we needed. So first of all, I mean, I, I know you've probably heard it, but in, in our day and age, what you opted to do and what you did do is going to be considered brave at a level. And this <laughs> plays into what I heard you just say, 
they were, here's this beautiful event about to take place. Maybe one of the most beautiful events that can occur in this realm where we exist. And they wanted to pile horror stories onto it. Mm -hmm. There is a known method by Tavistock where if you can get individuals or groups of people to make safety a primary concern throughout their life, that it creates mental deficits, uh, mental illnesses. And it has been so effective that here we are uh, in the modern era where you're simply trying to get assistance to have a birth the way you want to have a birth. And they have been so programmed that they are introducing fear basically into the pro into the procedures that they want to do, which you are simply trying to opt out of. And I think it's critical, but we've, we've still got quite a ways to go. So let's get up to the, our birth story. If there's other things right now in between where we are and that let's do them quickly. So I'll wrap up that last piece with, we didn't, we didn't give up there. So we went on to telegram and looked through local groups we called local doulas trying to say, okay, if we don't have a midwife, we'll find a doula, just someone to support us. We got many women who work with the medwives in our city or doulas who are licensed. And we got the same response. Oh, if the midwives aren't working with you, we can't work with you. And I think that ties into, they won't, most people with a license won't serve you if there's no uh, midwife or OBGYN present at the birth. And it's, it's sad, but a lot of that comes from fear. And I would say that fear comes from the fear of death in the process. And nobody wants to hold responsibility or people are just scared. It, it's all around fear, specifically towards death. Um, and I think once we faced that in our own way, that's when things just opened up and took responsibility and, for the next steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to wonder when it actually comes down to zero minute and you're about to do this, a mind that had been propagated fully with the fear narrative, what is the difference in the experience that's about to unfold between someone who's okay, uh, in balance, not afraid, and someone who's been completely put into an emergency state of mind? I'm just putting it out there. But anyhow, do you guys want to get into the birth story here now? Yeah, I think that touches on like, there's a bullet point and we'll, I'll, I'll touch on it and see what Daria wants to say. But yeah, so we took 100% responsibility in our sovereign abilities and our bodies. So Daria, um, she took a course on free birth, essentially deprogramming herself from all the birth propaganda we've both seen our whole lives. So that was a big part leading up to our birth was that she empowered herself to get rid of that propaganda and brainwashing. I think that's the first time we've actually heard that aspect of going into this. And I really like that. Yeah, I think to add that, of course, you know, I mentioned before, we didn't have that much experience with birth. So for me, again, every woman's path is going to be different. But for me, there, I did have questions like, what is a air quote, true emergency? You know, I, you know, wanted to know, you know, I was curious about you know, the placenta, I had never heard of a lot of things that I was exposed to in the course. And so some women, you know, maybe they just go into it without all that. But I decided in myself was, if I'm taking 100% responsibility, my dissolving, you know, the residual fear that I did have, for sure, that was present at the beginning, I had to empower myself. And to me, that was knowledge and hearing women's stories. So 
yeah, you hear all these women who are doing it and, and it's like, yeah, they can do it. I can do it too. You know, it's, it's not that tribe. Yeah. It, it really, the community piece was imp- just as important as learning what a physiological birth is and you know more of the let's just say like rationale or logical side of things or like the procedures or you know what is a true emergency and kind of learning that aspect of it but that to me really helped just ground myself in my decisions and feel prepared for it and I wasn't going to give away my power to anyone else so I had to, to choose that and and walk that path and educate myself not just her myself too because and Jeff, yeah <laughs> if your partner's scared you yeah. know I'm not going to say the word, but they're, they're terrified and the woman's empowered. Well, now you've got, you know, you've got a person, a panicking person in a a small brush fire. That's not going to make things any better. You know, you got one person who's like cool, calm, and collected. The other person is just like waiting to dial 911. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it was a joint procedure. Mm -hmm. It almost feels to me like the way it's working up where you are is this is a last ditch effort to make one of the two of the parents afraid to get back into the system. Because when we first spoke, one of the first things I asked you was, what was your backup if something went south and your response really told the tale? We didn't have a backup and we weren't afraid and we were okay. We comprehended what life and death is. And these are words that you can almost not say openly today. And so we really Either we're going to stretch an hour one here, Jason, or we've got to get into the birth story because we absolutely have to get to the placenta after the description and the birth certificate to be sure. So let's jump in to the actual event itself. You two are on your own and you're at home. Yeah. So I think I'd like to start with my birth and our our birth. My labor was not easy. It was definitely out of the variation of normal, which would have made me the perfect person to transfer to the hospital and also the perfect person to have some form of intervention. Um, And so it all kind of started as when I was approaching, of course, our air quote due date. And I was starting to go over this air quote due date. And just there, it was amazing to see people who the fear that started coming in just around being again, air quote overdue. And that was kind of this entrance way. So if I was, if I did have a midwife, I most likely would have been offered some form of induction, a sweep of, you know, Pitocin, something breaking my, like my waters, anything like that, because I was overdue again, air quote overdue. And I was approaching, I think I gave birth at the 42 or the day after the 42 week mark uh, of gestation. But again, this is where it's so wild because most women don't even know their conception date. So this is all guessing. It's all guesswork, which, you know, now I can laugh about how ridiculous it is. And also most women are basing their air quote due dates based on their last period which means that people are saying they're weeks, including two weeks that the baby's not even conceived. It's an arbitrary date. Yeah. It adds to their system of putting you into a medicalized kind of conveyor belt. And one one size fits all, I'm noticing in what you're saying, 
In the same yeah. way I have I have friends who can't be out in the sunlight for more than 10 minutes, I can be out in it all day. One size does not fit all. We don't need to yeah. get into inoculations, but what you just said is not only arbitrary, it's homogenization of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the due date thing is a, again just one this is just one opportunity for them to intervene and have control where babies come when babies are ready. And it's, again, it's so simple. That's it. You just, you're just pregnant until baby decides to arrive and it's on their terms, the baby's terms, the whole time. Like in my process is like, who am I to dictate when this baby is ready? You know? And just with that, it's not only with when I went into labor, but also the process of labor So I guess to continue the birth story, when I went into labor, I think because it was my first baby, I was a little bit in denial of what a contraction felt like. And it's funny looking back, I was probably in labor for a day or two before I actually went into active labor. And I was just, I was just telling Jeff, it felt like cramping and those were contractions. And I, I didn't really know, or I guess I didn't really label it as labor going in. But then when things starting started to pick up, I um, saw some blood and then I told Jeff, oh, I think the baby's coming soon. And then things really picked up. But another thing that I would have been flagged of with our labor was that I was in very active labor for almost, or the whole thing was probably around the 28 hour timeline. 28, I'm sorry, 28 hours? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was in, you know, a pretty active labor at that point for about 28 hours and I actually didn't dilate. So that would have again flagged me as a, a woman who's not or it's called it's called failure to progress. And this is often told to women who their birth is air quote, not going fast enough for whatever reason. I don't even understand the logic behind that. But they're saying it's becoming more and more dangerous for the baby if you're in labor and it's it's not happening fast enough, which, yeah, to me is just, again, it's it's ridiculous. I'm sorry to interrupt, but how did you know you weren't dilating? Did Jeff have to check? No, I touched. I think I you just, could feel it. Yeah, no, but I, <laughs> I, I checked myself. And actually, there were no, nobody touched me at all except for me. It I was, think that's an important point yeah. to note on is part of the midwifery, as uh, we're calling it, is many of the things, and I don't know if it's all midwives, but something that they've been trained to do. And we talked about this this morning. I don't know how, you know, authentic some midwives training is because I'm sure the medical systems try their darndest to integrate their own BS into the system. So one of the things that would have happened is they would have put their fingers inside of my wife mm-hmm. and, you know, in any other case that would be rape considered. Yeah. So it's like, they do these things like checking the heartbeat with the fetoscope or, you know, oh, look, the baby's not facing down, it's breached. All these things that the midwife, in the best of intentions, and we're not trying to crap on all midwives, but some of the things they would do would really throw off the, the calm, the cool, the, the, the whole vibe of the whole thing would throw off your whole process of birth. And one of the, the references that uh, her teachers gave that I really liked was imagine like, sexual intercourse you know would you want a group of strangers staring at you would you want your whole family watching you would you want someone who's not involved touching you and putting their finger up your butt or you know all these different things like checking you hooking you up to machines or 
you know, coming at you with the needle, like all these things are going to stop the flow of something really beautiful. And it's going to put the body in fight or flight, just like an animal. If you know, watching an animal give birth and you walk up and you want to poke it with a needle and stick your finger inside to see if it's dilated, all these things, it's like, yeah, that's all going to stop the natural process, which in Daria's case, had she been progressing and was at that like pivotal moment. And then someone came in and was like, Oh, let me check this and check that. It's like, you could be almost all the way dilated and then it's just going to stop because the body's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we're not safe. So I, w- I want to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to actually insert a thing that Jason and I have learned. And what I'm hearing is how critical it is for your intent to be known and respected as opposed to a system just mowing it over. But what we've learned about midwives is that they are to some degree at the mercy of the state they are in. Even some that we have talked to have pushed back mightily against and even ignored what's being pushed. And we have met a number of them that have basically the overarching intent that I think I detect in the two of you. And so that's for the United States. And I think it's important. Absolutely. And I would note, Crow, we did look for midwives who were outside the system, but we didn't have any in our area. We were able to uh, speak online with some that we had met previously that were just too far away to assist us, that would have been way more on our terms, I guess, and would have been, I would say, honoring the term midwife and not desecrating it like we're seeing in our government-controlled midwifery practices. Right. So so as a crown country, and we see all around the world right now how hard the crown countries are getting it, or what I choose to call the crown countries, but what we have met midwives who actually I'm not even going to say the things that I could say, I guess, but they've done everything they could to not be under the thumb of a regulating system. And here's the thing. Some of the women we met have done, uh, what is it, Jason? Was one of them over a hundred births? I mean, there's a lot of experience there. So it's such a crying shame that this, uh, I'll just say an institution, maybe that's not the right word, is coming under such pressures and you know licensure and regulation and all these things but let's get back on track into the birthing event itself Mm -hmm. so i mentioned this failure to progress but of course i was progressing you know that my body was doing exactly what it needed to do and yes i did not looking back now i did not dilate air quote the the normal way and that was okay this is how who knows what my body needed to do So I wasn't dilating until the last, I would say, again, I wasn't watching the time at all, but probably the last like two hours where I got to the point, I was so exhausted. And I kept saying, I need a sign, like I need a sign that I'm progressing. And then shortly after me expressing that my mucus plug came out and it was just like this, I tapped into this new source of energy to get through to the end because I I just, I felt the shift. and. The mucus plug, anyways, that that would be an indication that things are opening up. And so after that, I I felt dilation and kind of that progression happening. But again, if I was in the system, that's that's not air quote normal. And they would have wanted to progress that in some ways, most likely with Pitocin. And so then, yeah, I guess long story short, we we were really at the end and this girl decided to bob her way. So she was 
coming through the canal, making her way. We were getting close and then she just retracted back and I could feel her moving. And when I felt her moving and shifting as she was emerging, I, I knew she was alive. I knew she was well. And another thing that would have been flagged during our labor was meconium. So especially at the end, there was meconium coming out of me. So that is essentially the baby's poop. So that indicates that the baby has pooped inside. And that, if you're in a system, in the system with the midwives, at least from what we know, is that's pretty much an immediate transfer because that's, you know, that's the air quote baby at risk. And so we saw that that didn't concern us at all. And so she knows she kept bobbing her way. And then eventually she emerged. And this was the, you know, the beauty of letting things happen as they are. So, you know, women who are, you know, in any way, if, whether it's the epidural or the Pitocin, there's this total disconnect from the body. So then these women end up pushing and pushing. I actually don't even think I pushed that hard. I just let things happen. And that bobbing was my body's way to prevent tearing. And so I didn't tear at all because it was a slow process. I wasn't, nobody was telling me when to push, how to push. And then she emerged. Jeff was behind me. So I was on my hands and knees the entire time. The, the whole labor, I couldn't be, there was no comfortable position except for my hands and knees, which again, be so, so grateful I wasn't in the hospital so I could move my body and be in that shape on my own terms. So the baby's head emerged and then she opened her eyes slowly, saw Jeff and then came out and Jeff, you, you were shaking. I mean, it was a big thing for both of us for sure. Yeah, it was vibrating. Yeah. I just, wow. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> and, and just to insert here, we were totally depleted. Like I had puked everything out of my system. didn't have food. We didn't sleep for two full nights. Like, yeah, the birth started at about like eight o'clock uh, on Monday. And yeah. then the baby came out. It was like 10, 11 o'clock Tuesday. And that's the fun doesn't yeah. end when the baby's out. So yeah. like, we were definitely like vibrating. I was passing <laughs> out before like the intense labor happened. Like I'd pass out in between contractions. Like we were, we were running a marathon for sure. Yeah. And, and that's where it's like the beauty of the rite of passage, because we were tapped into some, something else, you know, like to get through that. It's, it's not even, I don't know. I don't even think I have words for it, but you're just tapped in your, your psyche's changed. Your, you know, I was in that room the whole time, like my concept of time, it's all just dissolving when you're in such a potent moment, like a portal like that. And so she emerged, Jeff brought her between my, uh, between my legs. And yeah, I held her for the first time. We saw she was a girl. She was breathing and making sounds and crying right from the beginning. And we were just, you know, you're in total bliss. And yeah. Speaking of physiological birth as well, like I didn't realize the high that a, a woman could get. I kept, I kept saying like, I felt so stoned. Like it really felt like a psycho psychedelic experience. Like I could not believe that. And again, just allowing a woman's physiology after such an event like that to then get this incredible experience of bliss and high to, to heal and to, yeah. You know, shortly after the birth, I was like, you're the, you're the, like the big sister. Like the fact that I went through that and within a few hours already was thinking of doing it again, 
just proves the design of 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 a woman that you can go through that and then and then do it again. <laughs> but I I really feel I feel and have so much compassion for women who birth in hospitals who don't their bodies are interrupted and then they don't get to go through that physiology where you get that bliss and that high after. I mean, it's not yeah, just a hospital; it could be at home as well or a birthing center. That's true. And another point I want to make in in the staying cool and calm and not worried was when she came out. I guess there was mucus in her mouth, so like mm. you heard like a gargly breathing, but none of us freaked out. So it was just like, oh, okay. And our our friend who was staying with us and but. Uh, acting as a doula or like post care, uh, post birth care. She stayed with us for about a week. She said, Oh, just, you know, like suck on her mouth and try to get some of the mucus out. And to me, I was like terrified yeah. to like touch this little new being and like harm it by sucking on its mouth, but just a few little sucks and she coughed it out, but not freaking out, you know, not making, uh, as one mentor, like don't make a thing a thing. Mm-hmm. So don't read into it too much. Just like, be calm and we we say chill and it was all okay. But you know, had had we been with someone else who was like, oh my God, something's wrong, get the baby to the hospital right now. Like it goes again to saying like being cool, being knowing who you're with, like with my partner, knowing that we both have the same mindset. Like the hospital is the last resort mm-hmm. and like not even an option. So mm-hmm. it's just stepping through these things calmly and like thinking of them rationally, not having a freak out knowing that big daddy government or the hospitals there to rescue us is yeah it's a big thing mm-hmm. well it's a full surrender and a full trust in 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 the process of birth and There's and no i guess that, nature, leads, so. that leads to the placenta which was another expression of that of a full uh, even full-on more trust. so hold on here i've got to make a decision because we're kind of at the top of the hour and the way this gets run out in the world I wanted to get everything into hour one to get to the most people, but I've got to say, hearing what I just heard, one thing that strikes me is how many couples are going to have the kind of family creation bond that occurred over those couple of days. I'm guessing that's got to make a huge difference on how the family progresses from this point forward. But Jason, we're 54 minutes. I absolutely wanted to get the placenta, the birth certificate, and everything else in. So let's make a call. What do you want to do here? Let's just do it. Okay. So anyhow, pulling back over, you were about to address the placenta. And again, for people who've heard the the legal ideas that we've put down, this was once considered the inheritance of the new life. Anyhow, go ahead with the placenta, which I understand some of the placenta came before the baby. No. Yeah. So the no, no, no. No, pieces came out with some blood. So after the baby came out. Uh, but not before the baby. It was after. Yeah, it was yeah. after the baby. She expelled a bunch of blood into the bed while she was kind of sitting up. And a few pieces came into it. But we kind of cleaned it up and moved it aside and didn't think much of it. You know, kind of just staying along with the trust in nature, trust in the body and just everything's okay. So we moved it aside and we kept it. And then. Well, we put it. So that, that was probably for me, the, a little bit, it it was alarming. So from what I learned is the placenta comes out intact. And so when I was laying there and I, I kind of felt these gushes come out and we had picked up what looked like, it honestly looked like liver. Like it looked like these liver chunks and we placed them in a bowl. And I, for me, I was like, 
what is that? You know, that was not air quote normal for me. So I was a little bit on alert, but I just kept checking in with myself. I felt fine. I felt grounded and content. So, you know, we just kind of moved along just with everything. And, and then when I decided I was ready to, to birth the placenta, I did not have any contractions anymore. So oftentimes there, there are contractions after the birth that then birth the placenta, but I didn't have that. So I was like, okay, here we are, no contractions. I got back onto my hands and knees and, and saw, you know, okay, will the placenta come out? It did not come out. Okay. I, I laid back down again. I was very exhausted at this point. And I decided to, at that point, slowly pull on the cord and, and bring the placenta out with breath. And again, there was, there's nobody else that can do this, but the mother. And I took my time. The placenta was coming out slowly. I don't know how long it took, but the placenta eventually came out. And when the placenta came out and got placed into a bowl in between my legs, one, it was obvious that the placenta was not intact. So that's when it really became clear and the pieces came together that, oh, wow, those pieces, those liver chunks were part of the placenta. Okay, here we are, new information. And then the other piece was that part of the placenta I would call it just the lining was still attached to me. So this is called, you know, a re- retained placenta. And again, that in itself would have, if I was in the system, someone would have most likely put their entire hand up inside of me to scrape and try and pull out pieces or whatever they use to justify that action. But We kind of talked about it and decided that, you know what, I trust my body's ability to clean and to expel what needs to come out. I did sleep for a few hours because we all, you know, needed some rest. I did sleep with a few hours with that, that piece that was still attached to me. And then when we woke up in the morning, I decided again, and this is all on my terms. I decided, okay, I'm going to, again, pull and slowly pull that last piece out and just trust that my the body does bleed after birth and cleans up by expelling blood and you know some women expel clots and all of that and i just trusted if my body's going to do what it needs to heal and yeah and here we are so as you're sleeping and waiting the new life is still has the umbilicus yeah yeah and i i would add that the the placenta coming out was probably an hour, maybe more after the birth, yeah. after we had settled yeah. in. And then, you know, she was waiting for it to naturally happen. So delayed cord clamping or keeping the umbilicus connected with the, the blood transfer that many people in the natural field are aware of did was able to take place oh, still. Yeah. yeah. So it's not the damage to the placenta and the placenta not coming out right away. So like everything happened as like perfectly as you could still imagine. Yeah. How long did you, so was, was it pumping? How long did you leave her connected to the umbilicus? How did you do all that? Three days, I think. Two, I three think days. It was like two, I guess it depends like, well, days, I guess hours, but we slept two, two nights with the placenta in the bowl and had one, my first, you know, our first full day was, she was, she was still connected to the bowl, uh, to a placenta that was in a bowl in bed with us. So it naturally, it naturally detached over time. Yeah, it was really 
really beautiful. Well, yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit more. So it didn't detach completely in that time frame, but we watched the umbilical cord, uh, umbilical cord essentially dry up. It turns into rawhide. So it gets really, really hard. It's like hard dried up skin. And for us, again, we were just playing this in the moment and communicating. And we had decided to invite our, our parents. And I, I would say for me, this felt really important to heal generational trauma, to invite both of our moms to come to our house. And they were the first ones, they didn't even touch the baby, but they saw the baby was attached, attached to the placenta. And they were the ones to burn the cord. At this point, there's absolutely, you know, no blood, no, like, yeah, like it, was it was just dried it was up. A shriveled up little yeah. hard piece by then. Yeah. yeah. So both your mothers took part in a little ceremony to burn the cord? Yeah, yeah. using candles. They kind of just held it underneath till it burnt and separated. Well, do you want to share about your mom and yeah? So, guys, we're gonna have to put a cut point. I don't want to do it. I wanted to get all this in hour one, but the way this runs, if we go too long, some places won't be able to because the first hour is for everyone everywhere. So, Jason, I feel like I've got to wrap up. Okay, but before we sign off, let's get all of your contact info out for everybody for hour one. So you can find all of our work at our website, which is www.findingpolaris.org. Our social media is Finding Polaris WC. Yeah, you can definitely reach out to us about anything birth-related or wilderness kind of skills or study or a big focus of what the nonprofit does is rites of passage work. But everything's on the website if you want to connect with us. The course that I took with Free Birth Society is the um, the Radical Birth Keeper School. So in this process, I essentially became the woman I wish I had at my birth. And so I love working with women one-on-one. I don't have anything posted publicly about that. It's all word of mouth at this point. But yeah, we are more than happy to hear from anyone. So our nonprofit does wilderness skills education, anything from friction fire to wild plants and foods to how to poop in the woods to spiritual and rites of passage. Currently, we have an e-course online that kind of just breaks into what we call rewilding, getting back to nature in a balance between, you know, your yourself, your soul. So we have a small e-course right now that kind of gets people's uh, feet wet and gets them introduced to rewilding as a concept and how to implement it in their day-to-day life. The coupon code we have right now is CROW7. So C-R-R-O-W-7. And the the course is called Awaken Your Instincts. And in some ways, yeah, how you do anything is how you do everything. And that course is a glimpse of how we live our life and definitely has ties to this birth and why we chose this route. So look, everybody, we're still going to we're going to finish up with the placenta, the umbilical cord, the birth certificate, and these things, but we have to do it an hour or two. It's just the way things work. If you run too long on the hour one, some places, because we allow hour one to everywhere, you know, they won't be able to run it or they'll have to cut it off. So that's going to bring hour one of episode 545 with Jason Lindgren, Jeffrey, and Daria to a close. We've covered a free birth here. We're going to finish that off in the beginning of hour two. Hour one is free to everybody at Crow 777 
radio.com, C-R-R-O-W, 777radio.com. Members know to log in. Members get access to all the forums. They can create new forums. They get access to the chats under every episode, which is specific to that episode. And they get access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, which covers all my telescope work over just over half a decade, day and night. Uh, With that, I'm going to wrap it up and we hope to see you logged in as a member on the other side. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy and higher minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.